So, Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you once again for an opportunity to come together as your people to study the Word of God. I pray that you open our heart, I pray you open our mind, and I pray that we have clarity of purpose here. And that the clarity of purpose is that we'll receive a blessing just for reading the book of Revelation, but more than that, we'll grow in faith and maybe come to a deeper understanding and a deeper revelation of this book that can seem so difficult at times to understand. We give you thanks for opening our minds and our hearts tonight. In Jesus' name, And everybody say amen. amen. Welcome to lesson two of the book of Revelation. Uh, I want to challenge you to dig this out yourself. I, I don't mind you taking me for the word that I give to you on this night, but I, I, my point is that you would dig it for yourself as well. You would be like the Bereans and you would study to show yourself approved as well, like Paul told Timothy and the Bereans to really dig it out and study it yourself. So. If anything, if it causes you to dig deeper, it's a win-win for me. I will say as we go through it that I'm trying to go through the book of Revelation. There's many ways we can go through it. There are people that believe the book has already happened and passed. There are others that believe it's future. And uh, so you can find about every interpretation from the symbols and what do they mean and who is this. And so... I'm trying to be wise enough to know that there are multiple opinions that will be different than the one I offer you. And I'm okay with that. And I'm not, I don't want to be foolish enough to say that my opinion is the right one. But what I am trying to give you is uh, the Word of God as I see it from my understanding and my study and then offer that to you for you to study it out and see if it fits. So I will say that whatever I try to throw out there to you and give to you in a lesson, that I'll do my best to back it with the Word of God. I will do my best to make it clear to you and why. And if it is my opinion, I'll just let you know this is my opinion and you can jot that down in your notes and go from there. But tonight uh, is critical because this is lesson two and we're still not to uh, Revelation chapter one yet. So this is a preamble to the playbill that we opened up last week, kind of the preamble to the Constitution of the United States, we the people of the United States. You know, this is a preamble to the entire book. And I felt to do this because what I believe about tonight, what I'm going to share with you, I genuinely believe it to my core. And because of such, it will... It determines how I take the book to mean what it needs to mean. So the reason I'm sharing it with you tonight before chapter 1 is because it's going to set the stage of why I feel the book of Revelation will be interpreted in the way that I'm going to teach it to you over the next 28 weeks or however long it takes us to get through every chapter. So this is a really critical piece of the component. So those of you that have friends or you share these videos, I would just highly encourage you to please uh, ask those that are going to watch, this is, a, this is the starting point. Because if you don't start here, it, you'll get real confused maybe in the future. Well, why, why do you believe this and why do you think this? And when we start talking about the things of the rapture and the saints in the, in the book of Revelation, are they the church, are they me and you, will we go through it? Hopefully tonight we'll kind of set the stage of where we're going to go 
to open up a, and I pray, it opens up a new way for you to think. So here's what I want to talk about tonight. I want to talk about time. Because what, where most people get stuck in the book of Revelation is with symbols. What does the dragon mean? Who, if somebody asked me today, who, who did I think the prostitute woman that sits on many waters, who do I think she was? And it's easy to get caught up in all the symbols. And anytime a symbol is looking at something prophetically toward the future, how many of you know we can mess those symbols up? Because we have to speculate. Uh, such as the, uh, you know, the creature coming up out of the abyss. Is it a literal creature that looks like a, a wasp or a hornet? Or, a, or is it like a, you know, a, some kind of tank or a bomb? Or, and, and we just naturally do that because anytime you read prophetic future, you're going to read it within your own limited understanding. I would imagine there's not many people back in the 50s, if we told them in 2020 what the earth would look like, they could even fathom what it would look like. But today, 2020 is pretty clear that we're a long way away from 1950. And so I chose to go this route because I believe that time is a dimension that we have to understand, my opinion. I think if you don't understand time, then the symbols that are in the book of Revelation really don't make sense anyway. It's almost a moot point to try to figure it out. And the reality of time is we ask the question, well, when? When will all this happen? Will we be here? When will he come back? And so even when we read the book of Revelation, because it's future, it has this question mark about time. I get that all the time. How, how close do you think we are, Mark, to Jesus coming back? Do you think we're in the time now? Somebody even asked me, do you think this is the beginning of the tribulation? Like that's the time, the doorway. And so I want to spend the next hour talking to you about what I think about time as we know it and why this influences the book of Revelation. So here's the first thing. This is the normal way we think. So this is normal human thinking about time. Time is a continual progression of evolution and experience resulting from a big bang. And then, then you go to college and they tell you that that's where time began. That time began in this boom. And then once the boom happened, there's just been this continual, never-ending, ongoing progression of events and progression of things to the norm. And then this is kind of what we get out of that. We start with apes, we turn into a better ape, then a caveman, and then a guy that has a cell phone, and then we turn into zombies... The zombie turns around and kills everybody, and that's kind, of, that's kind of how we view time, right? That's what you learn when you go to college, that you came from a monkey, and then we've all been evolving into more highly evolved creatures, that we're getting stronger and stronger. But then there's this weird thing about that, that even though we feel like we're evolving into creatures that can do open heart surgeries and transplants heads of monkeys on another monkey and perhaps explore the universe, there's this weird thing in people that genuinely think we're headed toward an apocalypse. And there's going to be zombies that eat flesh. And, and, and then we need to store up food for this moment. And we need to go get land and cattle because that, whether we, you know, jokingly or not, that is what a lot of people just assume, that we're headed that way. And so this is kind of 
what typical time looks like, my big bang, and then it runs through all these periods of time. It starts out with the particle, then the galactic, then the stellar, and then there's the planetary where Earth came in, and then the chemical, then the biological, then the culture, and then what we all are probably here for tonight, the reason there's so many people here tonight, is because there's this weird thing in a human that wants to know the future. It's in all of us. We don't like to think that we don't really know the future. Will we have flying cars? Will we, will we get a chip you know, implanted? What if I get this vaccine and then the vaccine's going to have a chip and then they're going to chip me and then they're going to know where I'm at? What does the future look like? And so in this scale of, uh, it says time, is in billions of years. And so here we are as humans, according to the, the, the normative of what time is viewed as, we're on this billion-year time scale, and we're jutting through the universe uh, faster than you can even fathom, and we're just getting older and older and older. Even though humans are dying, the cycle just keeps moving, this this ongoing movement of billions of more years. So once you're dead and gone, just billions of more years will happen. And then we just show up as a little dot. Somewhere along the way, our little 70, 80, 90 years of life is just nothing but a blip on this thing, this thing we call time. So I went to Wikipedia, which is where you go to get all knowledge, and this is the definition of time. I think it's pretty good. I think it's scientific for sure. And I think it fits kind of what we all think. And I, I, it's on your worksheet for you to fill in the blanks there. But here it is. It's the indefinite continued progress. Meaning it just keeps going and going and going and going indefinitely. There is no end in sight. You will die. There's an end to you. But time just keeps going. And you showed up in the 21st century and you'll live your little blip of life. And it's a progress of existence. Your life, your purpose, your meaning, your job, your family, who you leave behind, and events. 9-11. Corona. And there's a succession. We call the ones of the events in the past, we call them history. The events in the future, we don't really know what they are. We're waiting on them to happen. But they occur, and this is interesting, and I got it highlighted in green for you. They occur in an irreversible succession. Meaning once time starts, there's no going back. I know we like to watch Back to the Future. There's something really fulfilling about being able to go back in time and correct stuff. Uh, they even talk now, time is a dimension. It's the fourth dimension of probably ten dimensions of, of physics. And time is the fourth. And can we warp it? And can we travel through it? And can we go back in time? Can we bend? Uh, this, this has nothing to do with Revelation, but time, how powerful it is. Can we bend it so that if we could bend time, we could travel across time? We could be a time traveler. If you don't believe this is possible... To happen, just go to the book of Acts and read the life of Philip because he was transported immediately. He left the scene. He was gone. If you don't believe this is possible, just answer, how does Jesus just appear in a room and walk through a wall? If there's not a dimension of time where I can trans, you know, through this dimension of three dimension, there's more dimensions out there, but it's, it's irreversible. 
You don't get to go back. You don't get a do-over. You get to say, I'm sorry, but you don't get to go back and correct it. We, in golf, we call that a mulligan. You really messed your shot up. Hey, I think I'll take a mulligan. Time doesn't give you a mulligan. You reap what you sow. If you sow bad years, you reap bad years back. But it's a succession, and, and these are three words that all of us will agree on, no matter who we are in our belief system. We all agree there is a past, there is a present, you're in it right now, and there's a future. The weird thing about that is your present just became your past and your future is about to show up right now. But now, now became your present, so it's weird. Even in this room, you have a past, present, and a future waiting on you. And you're living all of it right now. You're experiencing every bit of it. It doesn't feel like it because it's just happening so quickly. It's, it's going by per second, or if we go lower, in milliseconds. It's, time is going so quickly that you don't even know you just had a past. You do realize you're in the future because you're having emotions or in the present, but the future's coming so quickly you don't even realize it is your future. But let me just do something. I'm going to pause for two seconds. You just had a past. You just went through the present, and you went in the future, but now all that's past because everything I said just a minute ago is now in the past. Do you see how weird this is? But this is important. You say, why? For understanding the book of Revelation. Why would this be important? And I, I put a big X because when I study the Word of God, I don't think this is time. This is what science tells us time is. And this is what my experiences tell me time is. But what if time was different than what we've led to believe? Yes, it's a dimension, but what if there's something about time that when I'm born into it, I never really rethink it. It is what it is. There, there's my past that I'm afraid of that has defined me or I have great memories. There's my present that I'm trying to struggle through and get over and there's my future that I'm afraid of or I cannot wait to get up and face it. So we all do know that at least one definition of this past, present, and future is it's really part of time. It's, it's certain but the indefinite continuing progress, I don't think, is biblical. And the irreversible succession, I don't think, is biblical. I think past, present, future is biblical. But I don't think the indefinite, just keep on and keep on and keep on into ever into infinity, is biblical. And I definitely don't believe the irreversible succession. I'll tell you why, and that's where we're going to go tonight. Here's the rethink. The rethink that I need you to think is time has a beginning and time has an end and is not an indefinite continued progression. It has a beginning point. It has an ending point. And it is not an indefinite progression. Whether you believe it or not, time will end. At least how we measure it. And you believe this, whether you know you believe it or not, if you're a Christian, because we say things like this, have you met Jesus so that you will have what kind of life? Eternal. The moment I use the word eternal, we no longer measure time. The sad thing, because we're human, we have to try to define eternal in time. When we've been there, how many thousand years? 10,000 years. We've only just begun, right? I mean, our brain tries to figure the eternal by bringing in so much time that it just feels like a really long time. 
10,000 years is but one day. Oh, that's eternal. No, once time ends and we step into the eternal and there's no more prophetic need of redemptive revelation, time will cease and we enter into the eternal realm and the eternal realm is not measured by time because God is the eternal realm and we're measured by who God is, if that makes sense. So here's what Jesus says about time. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and I'm the end. Now just so you know that I think he's talking about himself in relation to time, he says a weird phrase about himself. I am he who... He who is... That's present. I'm he who was... And I am he who is to come. In other words, I am the alpha, the beginning point. And I'm also the end point. I'm the first and I'm both the last. And just so you know that I'm talking about something that you'll understand, I'm both the past, the present, and the future. Right? I'm, I'm Jesus, God in the flesh of the past. I was the Word in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. I was the Word before there was even the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was. So even at the beginning point, there's the was of the Word of God. But when the beginning came, I was there in the beginning. And then the present Jesus shows up in the flesh. And the Word that was eternal became God in the flesh. But then the God in the flesh that's there is also the one who is to come, which is the God in the immortal, eternal uh, spirit of God in the rejuvenated, redemptive flesh, being the king eternal that will rule for I'm, I'm that God. Just watch now. I'm just as much that God as I am that one. So to Jesus, watch. Jesus is just as certain that looking at him on planet Earth in a physical body he was just as certain that the past him was just as real as the one that would come. He doesn't even assume that it might not happen. He doesn't say, well, I am who was. I've already lived it, so that's certain. And I am who is because you can touch me right now. Oh, I don't know. I could be the one that could come. I mean, if everything goes according to plan. And that's kind of how we live. The past is certain. It's already happened. Who hurt you? Hurt you? Who's abused you? Who's abused you? Get over it. Roll on, right? That's the past. The present is certain because I can look at you right now and go, hey, it's like you're here the present. But the future is kind of like, well, good luck. You just never know, man. You never know. The devil gets you, life will get you. Oh, dear God. We came into January 2020. 2020, I thought was supposed to be clarity. This has been the worst year ever. <laughs> but the, the present of January 2020, which you had a future in March waiting on you, the worst pandemic, supposedly. Now the pandemic is your past, and I would dare say that every one of you today see a little more clearly about the pandemic than you did when it first hit. Whether you're now a raging skeptic, or you're fearful, or you're questioning, but because you can look back at the past, you get more clarity. Now what Jesus is going to let me know here is that once he begins to tell me this, I am who he is, who was, and who is to come, and that's certain. I'm the beginning point and I'm the end point. I'm the first and the last. Here's what I'm saying in another verse. Revelation 1.17, John. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet. It's dead. But he, Jesus, laid his hand on me, saying, I love this. This is what Jesus said. Do not be afraid. I'm what? 
I'm the first and the last. But this time, not only does he say as he did before in, in the present verse of this one, I'm the alpha, the meaning that means the beginning. I'm the end. Now this time on the next one, he says, but I am also the first and the last. But I love what he does about that. In other words, I'm the past, present, and the future. No need for you to worry. I've been here before you even came. I was here before anybody ever even came to the world. I existed before the world ever was. I made the world. I came into the world to the present moment of the world 2,000 years ago. But I will come in the future, and that's just as certain that that guy will come. And then he says, oh, by the way, if you know this, you won't have fear. And I believe the reason many people fear the book of Revelation is not because they don't understand the symbols. It's they don't understand Jesus in relationship to time. And it scared their future scares them. If I don't know he's part of this time scale that I'm in, that he is my future, and I don't know he's, he's certain of my future, then I can really fear my future. What's going to happen to me? Will I get beheaded? Will I take the heart of the beast? Oh my God. Here's what I can say to all of those fears. Every fear you would have about going through the book of Revelation is solved by knowing how the nature of Jesus is related to time. Not knowing the symbols. There's so many interpretations that will make your head hurt. But there's not many interpretations here. This is not really left open for interpretation. Hey, don't be afraid, I am just whatever. Don't be afraid, I'm the first and the last. So here's the rethink. The rethink is time is not just an indefinite continued progress of existence and events. It's not that. Yes, time is past, present, and future, but it's not a continual progression. Why would time not be a continual progression? Because Jesus said, I'm the beginning. There's the start, but the moment you say, I'm the end, I'm the omega, or I'm the last, what does it do with the words indefinite continued progress? What does it do to it? Nullifies it. Oh, you don't think there's coming to the end. And maybe scientists said there's millions of more years to come. Trust me, I am who was, who is, and I'm coming. And when I come, there will be an end. So don't be lulled to sleep to think there's this indefinite progress of some humanity that will go on forever. That who is to come will come back and put a seal. It is ended. That's, that's mine. And then my mind just kind of goes, ooh, it swells on that. And so what I'm trying to get you to understand tonight is when you understand time, the book of Revelation becomes enjoyable. Because as you go through it, you've got to see exactly what he's doing. What was so confusing before has become so clear now. That's where I hope to leave you tonight. I hope I leave you in a place where you go, Dear Lord, I cannot wait to come back next week. Because I know now where we're going. I know now where Jesus is going to take me. Because what you don't understand, I'm going to say that, that's not rude like you don't understand, but what many don't understand about the book of Revelation is it's Jesus taking me on a journey to the future that has an end. And that's what the book is. It's, it's, a, it's a, a, a playbill of sorts. Like I said, it's, it's, a, it's a future look in a visible way toward the ending point. So, if, if time is past, present, and future, we've agreed to that. Jesus is all wise as it is to come. So, we've agreed that. 
There is a beginning and there is an end, but what we've definitely landed on is time is not just indefinite. Then what is time? Is it just a series of events in existence? Is time just your story? Is time just your the day you had today and now it affects who you are? It could be. I mean, it, you know, it does. Uh, time does affect our day. We've had a good one. We've had a bad one. I've got to go to bed. I got up early. I didn't sleep well. But I, here's the rethink. Now, this is a big rethink, so I need you to just hold on with me, and uh, we'll try to rethink this together. Here's the rethink. Time is a person. I don't believe that time is just another dimension. I believe time is a person. Because he was there and began it. And so somebody had to begin it, and the beginning was a person. He didn't say, I was at the beginning. Right? I am the beginning. Are y'all there with me on that thought? He didn't say, oh, I was at the beginning, and the beginning was me. That is John 1, in the beginning was the Word. Oh, I got out of the camera. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. That's that. I was there. No, he doesn't just say, I was there. He literally says, I am the beginning one. And not, I'm coming back to show you the end. I am the end. So in a weird way, the God that created the universe gave us an insight to his nature that he is time. Because he is eternal, he therefore can set the boundaries of time. So that's weird that he's an eternal God, but out of his eternal nature, he has the power within himself to set the boundaries of himself, and the boundaries of time is himself. So when he created it in his own nature and image by his own wisdom, and he put time and time, a beginning and an end, a first and a last, an alpha and an omega, and he bookended, he basically wasn't saying, this is just where we go from zero to 10 billion years. This is where I put my nature in the bookend of everything you will experience. I'm the bookend of everything you humans will ever experience, but I'm also the beginning point. So what does the devil do? I cannot have these humans believing that time is connected to the eternal nature of God that was the beginning. They have to believe that it just kind of exploded out of nothing. And there's no certainty of anybody's future in this room. Nobody can be certain of your future. I need you to believe that, the devil says, and then we do. And we wonder why so many Christians live fearful, frustrated, and have no clue what their future looks like. So this is what I want to talk about tonight over the next several moments. And that might be a hard rethink for you that time is not just a ticking clock and an hourglass. Because when I Googled time, like, you know, I needed something to really sh show time. So I Googled it. What do you think popped up? The two things that popped up the most, a watch and an hourglass. I Googled images, time. Hourglasses and watches were everywhere. Because those are great for determining events and experiences. What time do I need to be there? Well, you need to be there in about five minutes. So I do know that this can be a difficult thought if you've never thought that, that, that time is a person. But here's the rethink. The rethink is there is a beginning of time, 
you weren't here, thank God, when it began. Now, according, according to what's happening around us, we might be here when it ends. If you think about it that way. If you think about time as an end to your existence on earth, you still don't get it. Because time is not the end of the existence on earth because at the end, everybody will be there. The dead people, the unsaved people, the saved people, the rebellious people, the devil, the angels, everybody will be there at the end. And they will all stand before God before we ever step into this thing called eternity. When he's done measuring time, at the end of measuring time that we call the end of time, all humanity will be there. And then in that moment, we're thrust into this eternal world where forever and ever and ever... See, we even try to define eternal with forever. How long's forever? You're already missing it. it. There's nothing to measure. It just goes and goes and goes and goes. The brain, but there has to be an end. Like if we've been there a million years, wouldn't it? You're missing it. There's no millions of years. It's a dimension of God's nature where he is. So when you say you get eternal life, what you mean is you enter into the nature of God. And he communes with his people. But when you don't get eternal life, you are forever separated from the nature of God. Right? Does that make sense? I don't want to belabor the point. Well, here's how we think about it. Start of time for you was when you were born. Mark was born April 23rd at 8.35 or so in the morning on 1965. And my journey began. The thing about life on this God-forsaken planet at times is it's a windy road and it feels lonely. There's no gas stations in sight and you're just headed toward that great day where we put you in a pine box, dig a hole, say some nice words over you, and divvy up all your stuff with those that kind of love you. And more than likely or not, at your finish, somebody will read Psalm 23. <laughs> But because we live in this cycle of time and, and you and I aren't eternal right now in our physical bodies, time for us is a very much start and finish. It just kind of hurts. It, you don't really, here's the weird thing, you didn't even get to pick your start. How unfair is that? Nobody in the eternal world said, hey, we're thinking about bumping you onto this planet called Earth. You want to go? You didn't even get a, you didn't even get an invitation. Just one day, your mother, ah, and you came out and welcomed to time. And they write down on this day at this time, your little head popped out and welcome to the world. And then the moment you stake, <gasps> there you go, you're starting to die. You're on the journey of life and now we're counting time. And as long as you stay young in time, we're happy for you. Oh, he's just a little, you know, he's just a little nutcracker. He's only about eight, six years old. And then you get about 25, oh man, the good years, 30. And then you hit about 50, it's like, oh, time, oh, Lord. Oh, time's really done a journey on me, right? And then somebody dies at 95, we don't even say, I'm sorry. They're like, oh, so-and-so died. How old were they, 95? Oh, praise God. Yeah, they had a good life, you know? Somebody dies at 12, it's like, oh, rip off. And yet both of them went to the same place. 
But for the 95-year-old guy, he got a better life. The 12-year-old kid got ripped off because he didn't get to stay down there in this God-forsaken hell, and he's in the presence. <laughs> and he's now in the presence of God, miserable, wanting to come back to mother. And, and, and I'll just tell you, he doesn't want to come back at all. We want the 12-year-old to come back because he got ripped off in time. He didn't get to enjoy time. He didn't get to get a driver's license because of time. He, you understand what I'm saying? That's how we think about death. We think about it here. The closer you die to the start line, you got ripped off. The closer you get to the finish, which is 100, you, you had a good one. Praise God. We're kind of glad you're gone. <laughs> <laughs> So just kind of stare at that. I don't know where you are in relationship to finishing, but you will finish one day. I pray you finish well. Because everything you do on this timeline, he's taking note of. Everything you say, he's writing it down and keeping record of it. Every seed you sow, he's making a memorance. And every prayer you pray, he's storing it up in a vial in heaven. Because it matters to God... Because you're more than just a start and finish line on the earth. You are an eternal being and you matter to him. All right? So here's the rethink. If there is a beginning of time, and that beginning is a person, right? There's a beginning of time and that beginning is a person. And there is an end of time and that end is a person, then here's the real kicker. The start and the finish line are at the same place. It's not a continual progression, it's an out and back. Time, not you. You're a continual progression. You get older, you die, you end. You have a beginning and an end, and your life is a continual progression. But time, as in the nature of God, is not a continual progression because time is a beginning, and time is an end, and time is not the beginning here and the end way, 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 way down there. It's the same person. So the way God is going to do time is it's an out and a back, meaning we will start with me and we will end with me. This is the way he's going to do it. So here's the thought of that. The start line is a person, God, at a place, Eden. The finish line is a person, and the finish line is Eden. This is what I mean. The start line is the Alpha who starts and puts us in Eden, a land that is flowing with, uh, teeming with life and fruit and a river of life and a tree of life and the river goes out of it and it's the presence of God dwells there. But also he's the Omega and Revelation 22 says and uh, there's the river of life still, there's the tree still and there's the fruit still and there's God still and there's his people still. Like the end result of all of it is we go back to Eden and we're restored under the presence of God to live with His presence forever. So rather than thinking time is just going, think out and back. All right, here's the thought of that. God was at the start. He started with the first Adam in a land called Eden. God is in the finish. He's God and Jesus is the last Adam and it will be with Eden. 
Here's Jesus' words to this. And so it is written, the first Adam became a living being and the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Even Jesus lets you know that he's going to be the last because we're moving in to something different. Well, with that in mind, this is kind of what we think. All right, This is still how humanity thinks. God is eternal. And then the two red lines are time. To the left of the line is the alpha, the first in the beginning, and to the right of the line is the omega, the last. But we're still on a timeline, and we're moving that way. Genesis is the first book, and 65 books later, we're moving on through Genesis, and we get to Revelation book 66, and we finish the deal. I will say that because of the way God thinks in His nature, do you not think it not ironic at all that Genesis is the book of beginnings and Revelation is the ending point, and that the bookend of time is Genesis that began it, and the bookend of time as we know it, which is both the person of God and the Spirit of God that breathed the Word of God, and they're both the person that He gives me insight to my beginning and Revelation books in the end. That's why the enemy doesn't want you to know either of those. He doesn't want you to believe there was a literal beginning of creation, and he doesn't want you to know that there is a guaranteed future where the king will come back and recreate and restore Eden again, and we live happily ever after in the presence of God. He doesn't want you to know either. But this is wrong. Well, that's a harsh word. I believe, in my opinion, that this is still thinking the way we think. The alpha is the beginning, and we're trekking toward the end, and so this kind of becomes the... The, the rethink that I need. Now here's the rethink that I need. Everything God begins, what will he have to do? He has to. Because he said of himself, I'm the beginning and the end. So whatever God begins, by his nature, he has to bring it to an end. Whatever God starts, by his nature... He has to finish it. The thinking would be this. If God begins something in the book of Genesis and we can determine what began, we will know somewhere in the next 65 books to come, God will finish that. That's what the book of Revelation is. It is the finishing. God finishes everything. What was uh, of the seven phrases of Christ on the cross? What was one of the things he said as he hung there? It is finished so even the nature of Jesus in the flesh was to finish something that had to do with the redemptive prophetic plan of God so whatever redemptive prophetic plan of God we can find that began we can logically deduce that if it began it has to end now here's the new rethink of, of what I believe is happening. <laughs> it may look like I need to go eat something. But this is what I just read to you in the Bible. I put in a, gra a graphic that I hope will kind of tell you where we're going to go over the next few minutes. I'm the alpha, the first, and the beginning. So there's my beginning era. And time starts. Now, if he's the beginning, what is the top of the era doing? The top part of the arrow is doing what? If he's the beginning and the first, then what could we find on the top part of the arrow? 
everything that he's going to begin. And it will follow the arrow. But there comes a turning point. If we could find the end point of the last thing God ever began, what could we naturally assume if we found the last point biblically of his beginning, what could we naturally assume? What will he start doing? He will turn around because he's the first and the last. And he will start his way back toward omega, last, and end. And as he goes back, what is he going to do in succession with everything he began? Finish it. Now this is critical to understanding the book of Revelation. It's critical to understand why it's even laid out the way it is. It's critical to know this, to even know how to even make sense of the book of Revelation, in my opinion. But it leads us to a question. Anybody like to guess what the question would be? I'd have to hear it louder. Thank you. When is the turnaround? That's what I really want to know. That's what I want to know. Now here's Jesus. This will help you, Garth. You can't know the time of the turnaround. The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they're not for you to know. But it doesn't mean I'm going to turn it around and start ending everything I started because I'm the end. <laughs> I just need you to know you're thinking time as in when. And I'm just telling you it's not up to you to figure when because you're thinking when and I'm thinking person. You say when, I say father. You say when, I say daddy. Why? Because daddy is the when. <laughs> Does that make sense? It's not like he's mad at you. Like, I'm just going to really keep a secret. I don't want you to know because if I told you, you would live like a hellion until two days before. <laughs> right? That's kind of what we think. Like, if he told me, I'm just going to live a screwed up life until about a day before he told me to win and I'm going to repent. I'm going to have some Catholic anointment with oil and read the King James Bible and get in. Right? <laughs> but Jesus, even himself... Jesus himself, uh, and I hope you picked this out, I did. Jesus himself took dates and times and connected it to daddy. Now because he's mad or doesn't want you to know the calendar, he's trying to give you a revelation. Time is not a calendar alone. Time is my dad. Time is the nature of the father. So, this is where I want you to stretch your noggin. Is everybody with me? Yeah. All right. This is where I want you to stretch your noggin. So this is going to take, I got to leave elementary school and high school and college and I got to get a doctorate. I need you to stretch your head that way. But I can know the event of the turnaround. I may not know the time of the turnaround, but if I could, watch, if I could define the last thing that God began and I know the last thing he began, then I could look at the last thing he began and say, this event will be the start of the turnaround. Which I'm going to go ahead and tell you where I'm going to take you. I'm going to take you to why I believe the rapture is the event that is the turnaround. 
It's been taught in such weird ways that the rapture is the escape hatch. Oh, God's just going to get you out of the persecution. And everybody's like, no, we need to be persecuted because it shows us our faith. And that's how God knows we're pure is to chop our head off so we can prove how genuine we are to get into heaven. If that's the way you define the rapture, then that's wrong. The rapture is not an escape hatch. The rapture is not a quick way out so you don't have to go through. The rapture is none of that. The rapture is the turnaround. The rapture is God ending something so he can start heading back home. Right now he dwells within his people. But when he ends that event and he turns back home, he starts finishing everything. So... The event of the turnaround, this is really confusing, but I wrote it to where hopefully you would see. The event of the turnaround, therefore, would be the ending of the last beginning. All I got to do is find the last beginning and then go, well, he's going to end that. And the moment he ends that, I know we're headed back home prophetically. So I went through the Bible and I found, to the best of my ability, the seven beginnings of God. There's seven days of creation. There's seven churches. There's the seven sayings on the cross. So I went through biblically, and I thought, if that be true, if seven is the day of perfect rest and holiness and separation, I wonder if there could be seven things that I could show scripturally that God began that by nature of the book of Revelation, He would have to finish them. So in your worksheet, you have seven beginnings and seven endings. Please don't start writing yet. Just take notes because I'm going to give you a slide that has them all and you can fill it out. So don't try to go, well, is this number one or number two? Like I will put it all there and you'll just be able to lay it out. But what I would love you to do other than you just need to jot notes is I really need you over the next 15 minutes or so to just tune in to where I want to take you because it, to me it's very critical to moving forward next week and starting this journey of chapter 1. Here's the first beginning. The first beginning is heaven and earth. In the beginning, I mean, it's pretty clear. Everybody clear with this one? In the beginning, who is the beginning? Well, we would say that's time. In the beginning, the time. But time is also God. And, and in, in a weird way, like only the Bible could do, is that God defined time within the first four words of the Bible. Because again, like Jesus connected the dates and times to the Father, now we connect the beginning to who? God, God yes. In other words, I'm not just talking about the beginning of time where we start measuring time because of the weird thing, the way we measure time, which is the sun and the moon and the calendar thereof and the rotation of the sun and the moon around the earth, and then therefore, and thus saith the Lord, that's how we measure time, by clocks and by calendars. And God says, no, in the beginning, I'm there, so I'm already measuring before there's ever a sun or a calendar. So even the first four words of the Bible kind of teach what I believe I'm trying to say is that time is within the nature of God. And in that, He creates the heavens and the earth and the beginnings of the heaven and earth. And then this is the next one. Just to show you what I mean, that everything God starts, He finishes. On day seven, thus the heavens and earth and all the hosts of them were what? And thus we end day seven. And according to the Bible, which is weird, there is no day eight. We're counting day eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, because that's how we count. There had to be a day eight, and on day eight, uh, Crimson Tide was made, 
mean, that's kind of what we say, right? And on day eight, the Atlanta Falcons, right? But God wants you to know, no, 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 no. You guys keep going on day eight. I stopped on day seven because the end of my nature has nothing to do with time. It has everything to do with rest. So I stopped. This is why, I don't have time to go there, but it's a good study point for you. This is why the Bible will call Adam the first man and call Jesus the second man. In other words, the moment Adam sinned, I believe God stopped counting until Jesus was born and called Jesus the second man. And that space of time between the first Adam and the last Adam, first man, you would think this man would be man million and five hundred. God says, no, that's man too. Because I count differently because this guy started my nature and died and this is my nature and therefore bookend from the first and the last Adam is my nature. Right? Therefore, thus again, he's letting me know that y'all are counting time because there's Cain and then there's Abel and there's da 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 da, da and then there's all these people and then there's Rahab the harlot and then Jesus, wow, two, four thousand years later, Jesus, yay! And God goes, yeah, yeah, you counted all those people but I'm just counting him as number two. Because he bookends the beginning of my nature with humans and he bookends the end of my nature with humans. He was in my image and blew it. The first Adam, death. He is my image. He is the spitting image of me. He is me, my exact representation, Hebrews 1. And I bookend time with both of those. So that's the thinking. The second thing began. The Lord's calling somebody. <laughs> if he's got any info, let me know. <laughs> The second thing that began was Satan. Somewhere in all of this creation, before Adam and Eve ever came, there was an angel that was created. I talked about that Sunday. I won't belabor the point. He said, well, you were perfect from the day you were created. So there's the beginning point of this person called Lucifer that is going to show up in the book of Revelation as the Antichrist, as Satan and the red dragon. He had a beginning point. Well, if Lucifer had a beginning point, he's got an end. That ought to make you feel kind of good. Saddle up your horse and spank it and roll. If I created him, you better 100% know he's got an ending. If he had a beginning. Well, when it says you were created till iniquity was found in you, it gave me the third thing that becomes uh, the beginning. The third beginning is sin. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden. Notice there's Eden. Eden was in the beginning. There's that place with God that we talked about. The Alpha is with Adam in the Garden. The Alpha is there communing with him. The beginning and the first is there talking with Adam. The first Adam. The first Adam is with the Alpha. The first Adam is with the Omega. The first Adam is with the first. But because of this created being first of Satan, there is now this first of sin and now Adam is banished out of the garden. But if the Garden of Eden was started, what would naturally have to happen? There would have to be an ending with the garden. And if sin had a start, there would have to be a, an end of sin. The third gets a little deeper. It's the beginning of the Jewish nation. This is where God called Abraham. And the moment he called Abraham, now we don't just have an, a failed Adam. Now we have a father of faith that is called out who will turn into this beautiful Jewish nation of people called the Hebrews. 
They're still called the Jews to this day, the Israelites. They have a land. But listen to the scripture that God gave Adam because there's three things here that are going to be critical. These three things that are highlighted are going to show up in the book of Revelation significantly. As a matter of fact, all seven of them, and this is where I'm taking you tonight. Let me check my time. I'm taking you where all seven of them that have been started will be finished in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is the finishing of the seven things that I'm giving you in order. So he said, now the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country from your family, from your father's house to a land that I will show you. So there's a beginning point of the Jewish nation. They had a land. The land began. So if God began the land, what will happen to the land? He'll finish it. I will make you a great nation. There's a beginning of the nation. There will be the ending of it. And your name will be great and you shall be a blessing. Here's the land. And Abraham, Genesis 12, 6 through 7, Abraham traveled through the land as far as the side of the great tree of Moray at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who appeared. So in this Jewish nation, there was the birth of a land. Now here's the land. All right, This is modern day map. So you can see that... Uh, God, God gave the bro a lot of land. Not this little dot called Israel. He gave him a corner of Egypt, half of Saudi Arabia, half of Iraq, Syria, and a piece of Turkey. He gave him a lot of land. And anybody want to know when we get into the book of Revelation, where will every battle happen? Inside that pink spot. And when he, Jesus sets up his kingdom to rule... He will rule inside that pink spot. He's coming back there. So everybody go, well, is America going to be? Forget America. I know we think we're awesome. You weren't even part of the promise. This is the promise. And I know Iraq and Syria and all of those, Iran and all the kind of can be some weird nations. But that's going to be 99.9% .9 of the book of Revelation is going to happen here. As it plays itself out. Because in Iraq, in that pink spot, is where the Garden of Eden was. In that pink spot, Iraq, is where the Tower of Babel was built. It's where modern-day Babylon is now. It's where the Antichrist is going to set up his hub. It's where the nations of the north and south and the kings of the east will begin to march through Iran and down from Turkey and Saudi Arabia to begin to march on Jerusalem, to begin to take over the Jews and annihilate them all. This is the book of Revelation. But we're going here. So I want you to see the map because when we get into it in the deeper chapters, we will be in here. The last battle will play out in those plains. But he also said this, I'll make you a great nation. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on you'll be called Israel because you fought with God and men. So now he becomes a great nation. This great nation is alive today the strange thing is, here's the great nation today. The strange thing is, here's the promise. Great nation, but uh, what I promised you. And I believe it's a perfect example that many of God's people, because they don't understand the nature of God, live shallow of what He ever promises them. So He's going to bring us back to this. That's why they fight over it right now because all that pink, 
Right? Everybody, everybody get an eyeball on the pink. This is important. All of this pink is fighting for that dot of red. I got to have the red. Give me the red. Give me the Why? Why would all the pink want the dot of red? Because the dot of red is the Mount of Olives and it's where God is going to come and place His feet and set up His new heavenly Jerusalem in a city called Jerusalem and the devil hates it. Give me the red dot because that's where the King of Kings is going to land His feet in the future. That's why they hate that place. It's why, it's why Hitler had to annihilate them because he was motivated by Satan to annihilate them off the planet because if I can annihilate Israel and destroy Jerusalem and can control Jerusalem, the king can never reign. I'll just go ahead and help you. That little red spot will always be here. They will never be taken out. God will always have a remnant and that is his remnant right now. It's about the side of Rhode Island. I would highly encourage just don't mess with them though. Because weird things happen when people try to mess with them. Just study that. It's a supernatural protection of God. But out of this nation, which will show up in the book of Revelation, out of this nation of the Jews, we have four things that, are, that kind of burst out of it. It became the rest of the Old Testament. We have the law, and that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You know, they call that the Torah, the law. The Leviticus, Leviticus is full of it. It just makes your head hurt, right? But the law that was given were blessings if you could obey, but if you don't obey, you get curses. The next thing we see birthed out of a nation was the dwelling place of God, which was no longer Eden. It was an ark of a covenant, a box that they carried around on their shoulders and ultimately built a tent, and God stayed in a tent. But he established a kingdom through prophets, judges, priests, and kings. That's where we read about David and Jeremiah and Isaiah and Samuel and all the prophets because he's building a kingdom out of this thing. And then the capital city, as the kingdom splits into warfare, the capital city is Jerusalem. Uh, the very fact that President Trump put our embassy in Jerusalem should speak highly to you that God is doing something strange in Jerusalem right now. The fact that a peace treaty was signed uh, in this, in this uh, land with Israel is a very telling fact that we are moving toward the end pretty quickly, or I should say toward the turnaround. So out of this nation came these four things. Well, if these four things came out of the nation, what will he have to do? He will have to conclude them. So in the book of Revelation, we will have the conclusion of the law because everything that starts being put out by the wrath of God is a fulfillment out of the book of Leviticus that if you obey the law, these things will happen to you. Again, I don't even believe it really has to do with, with the church at all. It has everything to do with a group of people called Israel that broke the law. And God has to fulfill the law because He has to finish it. You say, well, I thought He finished it on the cross. He did finish the law on the cross. And if you believe, the law is not counted against you. But for the Jews who don't believe the Messiah, God still holds them accountable to the law. We'll study all of that. The new dwelling place is God with His people. The kingdom is Jesus' church and priests in the city of Jerusalem in the book of Revelation. is a heavenly Jerusalem that comes down. So what He finished, He ended. And here's the third thing that came out of it was Jesus Christ. He said, I'll, I'll not only make you a great nation and give you a land, I will make you a blessing. And that blessing, according to Galatians 3, is Jesus Christ. 
So to me, you may find different, and that's quite okay. But to me, those were the things I found in the book of Revelation that had a definite beginning. We had heaven and earth. We had Satan. We had sin. We had the, the Jewish nation, our, our certainties of, of beginning. But let's move to the New Testament because the New Testament, we have the beginning of God in the flesh. It's a different kind of beginning. It's not, it's not the beginning of God that is the beginning. Now in some weird way, the beginning who is by nature the beginning also had a beginning when he popped out of Mary's womb and now he's stuck in the middle of past, present, and future. But he is the past, present, and future. But he was the beginning, but he also had a beginning because he wanted to identify with you that even though he is a beginning and he is past, present, and future, he wanted to come down and taste like you did. So the beginning that was past, present, and future came down and created a past, present, and future by putting himself in the middle of time and teaching us how to trust the Father who is all of it while he lives in the middle of the mess we call time. That's why he always said, I can't do anything that my daddy doesn't tell me to do. Well, we think you ought to hurry up and take over. I know because you guys are on a time frame. I'm not on a time frame. I'm on a daddy frame. He put me in time to teach you that the way you handle time is him. You don't speak without him. You don't move without him. Everything is him because I'm in time, walking through time. We're measuring time. It's 4 B.C. and I've been born. And at 30, I'm going to start my ministry. And at 33, they're going to kill me. I'm in time, but I also am time. I'm the beginning, but I also had a beginning. I'm the end, but I'll also have an end. But the end that I have won't really be an end because I'm coming back. But I need to do that so you can see how it works. So while he's in the middle of time, what does he teach me? Two things. I don't have time to go there. But those of you that love to say, two things Jesus taught me on how to handle time in the middle of this thing I'm counting. Father and the Holy Spirit. Be thy will and empower me. <laughs> That's how it works. All right? The next one that we know is a beginning is the resurrection. Now, I will say this, that there, were, there was Elisha in the Old Testament that got resurrected, and we do know Lazarus resurrected, but they had another end in sight because they died again. When I say resurrection, this says in uh, Colossians 1.18, he's the head of the body of the church, he's the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, so that in everything he's supreme, he's in charge. So what we do know about this is the resurrection of Jesus was different than any because he didn't die again. He kept living. Now the final thing, because he's called the head, the church is the final, the seventh thing that I see beginning in Scripture that had a clear beginning. Jesus' birth, clear beginning. Heaven and earth, clear beginning. Satan, clear beginning. Sin, clear beginning. It's, it's recorded for us. Jewish nation called, clear beginning. Birth of Jesus, clear beginning. Resurrection, Easter, clear beginning of the firstborn among the dead. And then the seventh is the church. And accordingly, the church, what I can find, is the last thing God ever began. For from this point of the creation of the church that we see birthed in the book of Acts chapter 1 and 2, the creation of the church, which is his body, is the last thing I can find he began himself and birthed it. And so everything from this moment till now has just been this event working. Grace is working. He's giving us opportunities to repent. 
He's given us all. And even Peter will say in Peter uh, 3, 9, I think it is, people will scoff that he's taken so long to come again. Why? Is he so slow? Because he just doesn't want any of to die. He wants all to repent. So the very nature of this is that this age, now just, just so I'll show you, this is still going. It had a beginning point, but it's still moving. You're in it right now. You were baptized in it. The moment you believed, you were baptized into the body. Welcome. You're in this event called the church age, and he's baptized you into it. But guess what? It's still here. It's still moving. So if the church is still here, and here's the weird thing, you can't stop it. <laughs> they have tried for 2,000 years to end us. They can't end us. Every time they try to end us, we explode. They persecute us and we multiply like ticks. <laughs> that was a great word. I don't even know. I, I thought blood and I thought, uh, I, I came up with a tick, right? <laughs> I don't know. Eh. Yeah, thank you, country boy. But, but I, 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 I'm about to wrap it up and I'm sorry I'm late. Can you be patient with me? I want to end, uh, and I know I went a little, a little over what I told you, but, and I'm, I'll end it fairly rapidly because I've made my point. But don't you think it's strange that when God began it, a human can't end it? You will not end the church. Well, the government said we can't meet, and, and they, they closed our doors. Oh, yeah, they told you not to meet in the building, but they didn't shut the church down. They didn't stop the power. They didn't stop your ability to witness, right? They didn't stop the healing that's in your hands, right? But we kind of feel like, well, they shut us down. They'll, humans will never shut down what God began. Here's the seven beginnings. I'm going to give them to you. Start filling them in. So you can put these down, and the next few slides is going to show you what the next 28 weeks will look like. Here are the seven beginnings, heavens and earth. And I feel like I did a good job giving you scriptures to back up why I think they had a beginning. It's measurable, it's recorded, and it's critical to ending. Heavens and earth, Satan, sin, number four, the Jewish nation, number five, God in the flesh, the birth of Jesus, uh, six, the resurrection of Jesus, and seven, the church. All of these are the beginnings of God. I'll give you a few more minutes to write those. And for those that would be listening, I'll run through them again. Heaven and earth, one. Satan, sin. Three, sin. Four, Jewish nation. Five, God in the flesh. Six, resurrection. Seven, the church. Here's the thought of the night. Remember, everything God begins, he does what? He ends. I think we've established that point. I won't belabor it anymore. So let's just run through them. Here's the seven beginnings again. So there they are. Now what is he going to have to do with these? Yeah, by nature of who he is and by nature he started them and by nature he did it, he's going to have to end it. What is the ending book of the Bible? Revelation. Revelation. All right? And here's a weird thing. Every section of the Bible gets a was, is, and an is to come. Genesis is the birth of the first four. There's the Torah John 1 and the Gospels are the birth of God in the flesh and the resurrection. There's the section of the Gospels. And then there's the church that takes up the final section. 
the was, is, and is to come. The seven endings are just in reverse. From seven down to one. You remember I told you the church was the turnaround. Everybody remember that? So if I work my way as God into this age we call the church age, by nature of logic, if you, end, if you started it last and you're going to turn around and go back to the Omega, what would by nature become number one to end? The church. And, and this is why I believe the rapture is critical, not because God's trying to get me off the planet because he's scared I'm going to get killed during the wrath. He's taking me out because he's going to finish my work here. I will show you that the church has no work on the planet during the tribulation. Our work is now. It's right now. And when he comes and takes us and ends the church age and begins to work back through, because what happens at the rapture of the church? Okay, yeah, we go in the Antichrist. I'm thinking a little prior to that. I'll just tell you since we're time strict. What happens at the resurrection of the church is the dead and Christ do what? Resurrection. And the dead and Christ shall rise first. Resurrection. And just so you know, well, wait a minute. I thought Jesus said that uh, no man could know the day or the hour of his coming. Yes, that's the church. Nobody knows when this is going to happen. But I'll tell you, you will know his second coming because you can measure it. We're going to measure it. 1,260 days to the midpoint, 1,335 to the end. Then we go into the millennial kingdom, 1,000 years. Once there's the signing of the peace treaty, we can count and know the end. But what I cannot know is when he does the turnaround. So when he says, be watching, be ready, because you know not the day or the hour, he's talking about the turnaround. Because I'll come like a thief. You won't know I'm coming, but it'll be time. The Father will say, go, and I will go. And when I do, the church will be ended, and I will resurrect everybody that's ever believed in me. And then, this is what it looks like, in my opinion. I wrote, you can't see the words, but as you download the slides later, I just wrote all seven up the top, then the turnaround, and I put the churches, the turnaround, and he heads back home to finish it. Now, here's my belief. You don't have to believe this. It's my opinion. My opinion is the book of Revelation lays this out for us clear. The outline of the book of Revelation is that the seven beginnings of God will have their seven endings. And the book of Revelation is the ending of all seven things I just told you about. So let me run through them. Here's the outline. The church, which will be the first ending will show up in chapters 1 through 3. The resurrection and God in the flesh is chapter 4 because we end up in heaven and a strange thing about the church when we go into the resurrection chapter 4 it says and after this meaning there was an ending point it stopped and after this I was in the spirit I was in heaven seeing the throne of God so we end up in chapter 4 seeing the resurrected saints seeing the 24 elders seeing the people around the throne seeing God in the flesh itself this time it's not flesh like human flesh it's redeemed it's immortal flesh a redemptive body that he has and we get that insight into chapter 4 then chapters 5 through 19 is where it's going to get thick, deep, and dark as we dive into it because what's going to happen is all of the law, all of the promises given to the Jewish nation, God is going to begin to fulfill all of it to them. 
Every promise he ever made, if you break the law, this will happen. And every promise he gave to David will sit on the throne. My belief, you don't have to believe this. My belief that chapters 5 through 19 has nothing to do with the church and everything to do with the Jewish nation. Because God has got to fulfill all the promises he made to King David, all the promises he made to Abraham, all the promises made to Noah, and all the promises he's ever made to that Jewish people. He has to fulfill them. And he has to live up to, if you disobey me, this is what happens. The church has already decided to believe in the Messiah, so we're good. But the Jewish people that don't, he has to deal with them according to Levitical law or God's a lawbreaker. Chapter 20, and he deals with sin and Satan. Sin's annihilated, Satan's thrown, done away with, done, thank God, hallelujah. That's chapter 20, it's a fun chapter. And then chapter 21 and 22 is the new heaven and the new earth. So in in the craziest way I could tonight, I tried to give you the outline of where we're going to go over the next 20 plus weeks. And why I believe as we go through it, every time we go through a chapter, I need you to know God's ending something here. He's finishing what he started and he will leave not one stone unturned in Jesus' name. And I like to end like this. Blessed is the one who reads the prophecy. Blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what's written in it. Because the time is near. I'm not asking you to believe everything I believe. And I'm not asking you to know everything there is to know. I'm simply asking, will you read it aloud? So this week again, would you read Revelation chapter 1 aloud every day? Because next week we tackle chapter 1 and we start our journey together. And we're going to have a great time together. I look forward to seeing you. I hope that blessed you. Be blessed. Have a great night. I love you. Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there is anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Be sure to check back next week for a brand new message.